Hello and welcome to the Pint of Science Ireland podcast. I'm Molly McCrory and today we're bringing you extended cuts of the Science Festival taking place in pubs across Ireland as part of International Pint of Science. Today we're joined by John Ward. John is the Space Product Manager at Railtra Space Systems and has worked on projects for Ariane 5 and 6 in the Plato mission with the European Space Agency. Grab a pint, it's starting. So just to start out, you've mentioned that your background is in astrophysics research, or we know that. Uh, what was your research studying? Yeah, so primarily I was uh, researching the origins of galactic cosmic rays. So I did that through two means. One was through direct measurement of um, the cosmic rays themselves. Um, that was done with experiments that we launched on stratospheric balloons. So I worked on a few experiments. One was called Tracer, uh, which we launched from the second time actually uh, was launched from Kiruna in the Swedish Arctic. And then I worked on an experiment called Super Tiger, which we launched from Antarctica in 2012. Uh, otherwise, then I was working in ground-based gamma ray astronomy. I did my PhD actually with the, the Veritas uh, Telescope Array, which was in Arizona. And I also worked on the MAGIC um, Trankov Telescope in La Palma and on the Trankov Telescope Array, which is a future uh, experiment that is currently under construction. Cool, yeah. I'm actually currently based in Arizona. so. Oh, very nice. That's okay. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah, I used to live down in um, near Amado, so the Fred Lawrence Whipple Observatory. So you spend a lot of time in Tucson. That's where I am. I love Arizona. <laughs> very fun, That's yeah. great. It's a great spot, yeah couple of St. Patrick's Days in Tucson, actually, so that's good. But you currently now work at Railtra Space Systems with the incredibly cool title of Space Product Manager. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? What are some long-term projects that you're working on? What's your day-to-day like? Sure. Okay, so... Yeah, Space Product Manager, uh, what it is at some level, it's you're taking early concepts and bringing it through the full design and production life cycle. One example would be the video telemetry system that we at Realtra built for um, the Ariane 5 and Ariane 6 launchers. So the maiden flight of that system happened on... Christmas Day in 2021, which was the James Webb Space Telescope launch. So I don't know if you or people would have remembered the um, the footage of the James Webb Space Telescope as it was like deployed off the upper stage. So that that video telemetry system was provided by Realtra. So we built that and we tested it all and and, and provided it to Ariane Group who uh, mounted it. And then another project we're uh, heavily involved with now is the European Space Agency PLATO mission. It's an exoplanet uh, satellite, and we are providing what's called the payload interface unit. But what it is is essentially um, a thermal control device. So the there's 26 telescopes on the, the PLATO satellite, and they are focused through essentially mechanically by by warming them or letting them cool down to keep their focus so we're building a avionics system that essentially measures the temperature of those telescopes and applies heat accordingly to keep them at a very very stable 
temperature within um, a couple of millikelvin. So it's it's probably maybe the most precise temperature measurement device in the planet at the moment. And then otherwise, we're working in the reusable launcher uh, that uh, the European Space Agency and the European Union are, are supporting called TEMIS. Um, and so we're, we're working on the camera system for that as well. So And, and we're also doing a, an artificial intelligence, uh, let's we call it an edge AI board for CubeSats. So, you know, there's a, a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of projects, spinning plates, etc. So my, my day-to-day would be as much trying to, you know, to, to bring all those projects um, through to, to delivery um, from, as I said, very early conceptual phases through to actually building them and testing them and putting them in boxes. So it can be the whole the whole thing. What is it like working to make parts for those huge projects? Do you need to discuss with other groups that are working on those big projects a lot? Or is it mainly like once you have the contract, once you have the original plan, you can just kind of go? So it can depend a little bit. For example, in the video telemetry system or the Viki, as we call it, video kit so very original, that would have us sometimes working with other partners who would provide some of the subsystems, for example, that we integrate ourselves and, and, and then test and, and uh, um, provide. So sometimes there you'd have, let's say, um, some interactions um, also very much so with the customer. Um, so with REM Group, for example, we had regular meetings to make sure that everything was being built to their specifications and whatnot. In the European Space Agency, the the Plato mission, that's a little bit more structured and uh, limited in terms of um, collaboration and whatnot. We have uh, OHB or the German company that are uh, building the, the that satellite, and they subcontracted us to provide the payload interface unit. So that relationship is very much just directly with them and the European Space Agency involved as well. Um, otherwise now, you know, depending on some of the R&D projects we do, we are very much in a collaborative mindscape where we're working with a university or working with some other smaller companies and trying to, to come together and, and build a, a, let's say, a very cutting edge product that, that needs the pooling of resources, if that makes sense. So it can, it can be varied. Cool. That all sounds so cool. Can you talk a bit about your decision to shift your focus from academia and doing your PhD into industry where you are now? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I did my PhD. I graduated in 2010 and then I went to the U.S. to to do a postdoc. So I I did a a postdoc in Washington University in St. Louis for about three and a half years. Um, Then I moved to Spain and I was in the... Uh, High Energy Physics Institute, or EFI, in in Bayatera, outside Barcelona. I was there for several years uh, as well. So all in all, I I did about seven years of postdoctoral research. I got a a Marie Curie Individual Fellowship, um, which which allowed me a little bit of of academic and like personal freedom in in the sense that I had my own budget and, and my own project. But... Towards the end, I, I, I kind of got a little bit um, frustrated with the, the career path in academia because I was seeing that it would have been or was going to be extremely difficult for me to 
to get a permanent position uh, and become uh, you know a group leader uh, and run my own my own affairs and kind of be in control of my own destiny you know and, and especially you know with seven years already invested I, I was imagining that it, it may be another seven before I even uh, had the opportunity of a permanent position and even then it wasn't clear to me where that may be you know and I felt at certain stages that there was a, I was a, an exploit exploitation and it was kind of an uneven relationship between the various PIs and myself so and, and again, you know, there was a lot of negatives in terms of the behaviors, which I felt, you know, if I was going to have that kind of attitude in, in private industry, at least I might get comp- better compensated financially. <laughs> um, and, and even then, there was also a, in, in an eagerness to build things and to deliver. There was a pressure in industry that I was seeing and wanted to be a part of. And, and ultimately, I had a moment. It was like an epiphany. I was in the lab working on a, on on my project in the Marie Curie, and I, I just had a moment, and I thought to myself, "Look, what do I actually enjoy doing here?" Um, and I, I loved the, the building of the experiments and and things like that. The physics at the time kind of lost lost its luster for me a little bit, um, and I just felt, "Well, look, I like space. I, you know, obviously, I did a PhD in astrophysics, so I am interested in it, but." Is there some other way I can still be involved in that world without having to be an academic? And the, the perfect balance was to kind of transition into, let's say, space industry. And so that was when I made my decision to to transition out. Now, it wasn't trivial because, you know, it was seven years in academia. And yes, you, you have your skill sets from academia, but there's also someone who went straight into, let's say, the engineering world for seven years working in a space company. But I think the the... The beauty of, of sometimes being a physicist like I am is that you're very malleable. And, and, and so I went into the startup world in the space industry where a physicist is, is very well utilized because of that um, malleability, as I mentioned. And then that's where I kind of learned the nomenclature and the some of the technical aspects behind everything. And I, I've slowly you know gotten the competency, I would claim, at some level. <laughs> Maybe not like I'm not, I would never call myself an engineer, for example. But I think I have enough of the other skill sets to make things work as needed. So It's good to hear all of that and that perspective. How would you describe the state of the space industry in Ireland right now? Yeah, so it's actually very exciting. And, and that was one of the, the main reasons why I pushed to come home um, to Ireland was I saw that there was a kind of a, a new wave of interest and, and investment into it and especially a governmental interest so I just felt like there was going to be this 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 wave in Ireland in the space industry and so I wanted to be a part of it and support it myself you know I'm, I'm very proud to be involved in the Irish space industry uh, so at the moment you know there was a national space strategy released by by the government I think in 2019 and so that's pushing you know to double the amount of employment to double our our investment into the European Space Agency to increase the number of companies that are involved with the European Space Agency and and that is that is moving um, I think for sure we could in- increase our investment easily but, you know, at the moment, there's something like up to 100 companies now that are involved with the European Space Agency in Ireland, and that's that's excellent. But I think that there's a lot of potential in the country from both the upstream and downstream sides. And when I mean upstream and downstream, I mean, you know, building off units for spacecraft, for launchers, things like that, down to the downstream, which is the use of, of the data generated by space infrastructure, you know, 
smart agriculture, machine to machine communications and with remote terminals, you know, all, all this type of thing. So I think for me, what's more most important for the space industry in Ireland is that it grows sufficiently that for all these graduates and scientists and engineers that we're, we are generating in the country that they have work available to them and positions that when they when they graduate they could come in and find a company or if they do go abroad and get their experience that they have a path home which you know I was very very lucky that I got that job at Railtree and I have several Irish colleagues who are still abroad and we'll, we'll find it tricky to get back still so for me um, it's good the the right noises are being made about it, but we still need to push always. And you kind of touched on this, but in five years, ten years out, where do you see the space industry in Ireland going? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think so. There's kind of two two ways this can go. I and this is just me off the top of my head. I think mm-hmm. you have a top down approach, let's say from the government, who are trying to drive it in certain ways, and I think what they're trying to to push our it is excuse me the, the downstream application side so the use of, of the data uh, pretty much applied to like you know in, in a sustainability context or agriculture marine etc which is which is fine I'm obviously in the upstream world so I have I have a bias where I want to see more push towards the building of of the equipment and the infrastructure uh, to, to generate that data so in five years, I would love to see that we are in a position where we have like twice the size in terms of companies involved, uh, employment and, and budget. What I would like again to see in five years is something like an Irish space office. You could call it an Irish space agency, anything like that. But I think there's a need at the moment for uh, some sort of focal point to drive a little bit um, the direction or the vision of the Irish space economy, if you will. I, I don't want it to be too top heavy because I'm a firm believer that if you just allow companies and people to be entrepreneurial and, and develop their own companies to address needs that you'll have this nice bottom up organic approach. But at the moment, it's just a little bit difficult, I think, for people to maybe start their own company in, in the Irish space industry to because, you know, it's about accessing funding. Who do you talk to? So, you know, what, what's a narrative? It, it needs to be a little bit more coherent, let's say. And the space strategy does talk about that and hopefully that gets implemented in five years and you know by the way i'm not talking a lot about the universities here but they're obviously a part of that whole story as well because they're going to um, let's say create this low trl or this very blue sky research stuff that we'll have to get transitioned into the real world and hopefully that's where industry and academia can can merge nicely in 10 years time you know i'd love to see ireland to be really considered a, a genuinely serious player in the European landscape for for space industry or space endeavors, if you will, even from the academic through to the industrial side, where we're providing payloads to scientific missions that are, you know, let's say, and uh, academia, academia driven or led. Meanwhile, there, there's also like large or mid cap Irish companies that are well respected globally that are providing technologies and and design services, etc., to other global partners and companies and space agencies etc so that that's where i'd love to see the the ambition for ireland to be like a genuine space comp a space country and not for people to when you tell them you work in the irish space industry to kind of like tilt their head and go oh you guys have a space industry like mm-hmm. you know we we don't know what we're doing or something or so uh, yeah that that's it's not particularly specific apologies <laughs> but that's kind of where i'm i mean I'm five thinking. years ten years out is 
completely yeah, hard, hard not hard to be ask. specific. It's hard to do. Five yeah. months would be tricky. Yes. <laughs> and so I know you were in academia when you worked in these places, but how do you think the space industries in places like the US, Spain, where you worked, compare to what we have in Ireland? Well, I mean, the the, the space industry in the US is on another another level of course um mm -hmm. i think the us just does a brilliant brilliant job of again i'm going to i'm going to talk about more the entrepreneurial company side it just does a brilliant job of, of providing the, the necessary funding through either venture capital or or um various uh, let's say contracts anchor anchor customers which would be the government and, and the various um agencies within the us um, a lot less uh, risk averse you know, just a heavy visionary led kind of approach. So I'm a big fan of, of the way that works. Spain was actually also excellent, I must say, uh, in supporting, let's say, the quote unquote new space um, side of things. Um, they have a, a, a kind of a development agency for development of technology. Um, it's got, it's, I, I can only think of it in Spanish, but it's like for the development of innovation and technology department and they do a wonderful job i think of, of funding small companies to to kind of bring up their own technologies to try and, and, and make some commercial output so i i felt that was quite interesting and um, spain obviously has like a lot of industries as well so I, I think it all it fits together well um in ireland i just think we're um a little bit late in, in going even though funny in the 80s and early 90s there was actually some very very important irish contributions to like some interstellar probes and, and things like that um and we just kind of maybe step back a little bit in, in the 90s and, and 2000s uh, at least in my opinion um and hopefully now we're just trying to, to restart that again but i feel we need to make sure that we have a vision and a, and a strong leadership in terms of pushing things forward and i and i have a suspicion that it'll be industry and academia that'll have to lead the way and the government will will, will kind of follow at some level and i think that's how i think we should approach it so much like the us maybe side of things just try and get going and just give the money to the right people and let them do their jobs you obviously took part in the 2022 Pint of Science Festival, and you also recently gave a talk to physics students at UCD. Do you think of science communication as um, an important part of fostering the space industry in Ireland? How can we improve it? Yeah, I think it's absolutely crucial. I mean, at the end of the day, the European Space Agency is funded by taxpayers, and I think Anytime a taxpayer is involved in the, as a stakeholder, you have a duty to explain to them what's happening with their investment and why it's important they're doing it. In academia, it was always quite interesting to me. I wasn't totally obsessed about outreach. Um, I did do it, of course. Once I've gotten involved in the Irish space industry, I realized that because the the message and the understanding about where we are, uh, what what our capabilities are, and what our potentials are, to me was not really obvious. I felt much more of an urge to to start banging the drum as such mm -hmm. about what we're what we're fit to do here. And to me, it's all about potential, you know, and understanding that we're capable of so so much. So when I talk to physics students in undergrad and, and even, you know, I talk a lot to national schools and secondary schools, it's really just about showing them the, the reality and what we're capable of doing too, so that they, they believe that it's possible just by demonstrating that, 
you know, this is what's happened. We did put this ro- this video system on a rocket and it did look at the James Webb Space Telescope and that was made in Ireland and, you know, there was Irish engineers involved and you know, we were a product of the education system here, etc., just like you will be. So, yeah, I think I think it's incredibly important and the Pyter Science was wonderful for that because it was just this great great uh, uh, opportunity to, to just show people what, what, what we can do. And I think people appreciate the fact when you don't talk down to them or don't try and act like you're someone special, that you're just a regular person as well that just happens to have a, a job that, you know, might be a little bit kind of esoteric or strange mm-hmm. to them that, and you're just trying to explain what's happening and they they need to invest and why they should invest more and why it's important to them and um, try and make that convincing argument because i think you need to even the other thing i love about when you're doing these outreach talks is that it helps you understand why you're doing it and uh, ask hard questions of yourself because sometimes maybe you can just do it for other reasons that maybe you don't um you haven't fully comprehended yeah i think it's great and in terms of doing more um Again, that's partially the conversation about what the, what is the space industry doing and the coherent message and stuff. And, you know, we need to have a dedicated website. We need to um, have uh, more more outreach um, to be, get people out into the schools, talking about it, taking people into the offices for tours, um, getting involved in more social media, etc. So yeah, I think we can do a lot, lot more to spread the message. So you mentioned kind of specifically how you got more into outreach once you moved into industry. How do you think we could or one could convince academia about how important this outreach is? Uh, that's that's a, an interesting question because I have two I have two opinions. One, I, I always felt that that outreach was quite good in academia at least in, in my side I felt that there was um, at least some dedicated outreach officers in, in universities etc the the tricky part perhaps is that it was only specific people that would do the outreach and I think you need to broaden the um, the pool of of, of professors and postdocs etc that can actually give the presentations if they're competent enough to do it um, I think a lot of them were just extremely busy and focus on their research so sometimes it could be hard you know it's not it's not trivial to prepare an hour an hour presentation mm-hmm. to give and even to find the time and all that stuff so there could almost be an incentive uh, incentivization for academics to reward them for doing those kind of outreach talks perhaps some way maybe if they give do a certain percentage and this could all be the case in academia i've been out of it for a mm-hmm. while now but you know maybe if you could offset some of their teaching hours by uh if they if they can do given uh, some outreach talks uh, at, at various things and, and stuff like that where you could just try and incentivize more people to to give those talks because i do feel like the outreach stuff used to fall on certain people consistently and because they were interested in doing it of course and i do think there's probably a candidate pool of people that are interested but they just go look i'm absolutely swamped i can't deal with it but you need to then lower their workload or incentivize them some other way to do it yeah i'm even thinking about it we have a lot of the people with who've done pound science and who we've been able to interview have been like phd students with smaller teaching loads and such yeah yeah that's that's exactly it so you're yeah you have to address why why aren't they doing it i mean it's a question perhaps kind of science could go and start asking uh people directly like you know what why 
why can't you do an outreach talk? And I say, I'm completely busy. Or maybe I don't want to. Well, fine. <laughs> but, uh, there's, there's, uh, I think that might be just usually the, the reasoning. It's just people are very busy. Great. Uh, and then this is one thing we like to ask all of our guests. What is one misconception that people have about your work? Uh, and that could be space industry, academia, specific, broad, and like, what's one misconception and how did you correct it? Well, I think in the, in the space industry sense, there's probably a misconception that what we do doesn't have incredibly direct benefits to society. And what I mean by that is, you know, if people see we're work, working on a rocket, it's not clear to like, maybe it's not clear to them that those rockets are carrying uh, satellites to orbit that are for Earth observation purposes that will have direct impact on weather prediction or that they're carrying global navigation satellite system satellites that are how you get around well. And that's, I think, something that maybe the reasoning of outreach is that you make that that message much clearer. It's not just for carrying tourists to space, for example. Uh, it's not just about a boondoggle. Um, in terms of let me see other misconceptions. I mean, in Ireland, the misconception is that we don't have an industry and that it's it's beyond us to have an industry, I would claim. We don't have the competency or, or the experience when we do. It's just, it's it's nascent and quite small at the moment, but there's absolutely no reason why it can't expand and grow. We have the quality education, we have the, the people. So, you know, I think that's a misconception that, that needs to be addressed. In, in academia, it was... I think always a little bit tricky, and I think Ireland is guilty of this too, that when you talk about research, there's a lot of questions about, well, what does that do for me? What's the application? And I think that's a not a great question when you're talking about pure research, because it's like asking someone, what's the, what's the unknowable value of the unknowable outcome of the, you know, unknowable thing you're doing? Like you, you can't, I can't, I can't monetize the thing that I'm, still trying to even understand and so the misconception there is basically we need to do a misconception that academia or, or research should only be for a direct benefit like that meanwhile i think there needs to be almost philosophical conversations with with the taxpayer about you know we're studying exoplanets because we're curious curiosity is an abstract thing but if we weren't curious as a civilization or as, as a as a you know a, a, an entity we wouldn't be technologically advanced i would claim but the problem is you get into very what people always said to me oh that's very wishy-washy you know you're not curing cancer especially as an astrophysicist <laughs> is really tricky and and like because ultimately you're just saying well because i want to know i'm curious about this stuff uh, and and but what the benefits are is that when you have a driven let's say scientist who's trying to answer an academic question and maybe people don't think is important they may invent a new technology to get that measurement, which then has its its technological spin out, or they may not. And and just what has to happen is that we agree that we fund these people, and they may produce a golden nugget in terms of curing cancer just by an accident because they were <laughs> you know focused on something else, or we acknowledge that sometimes we let people follow their curiosity, and maybe it doesn't lead to the direct outcome that a taxpayer may want, but knowledge you know, is important, I think, in general. So again, another rambly answer to that question, but it was a kind of a difficult question. So yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, and just if people want to learn more, where can they find you? Is there any social media you want us to mention? Well, you know, if you're, if you're interested about Realtra and what we do, go to Realtra, R-E-A-L-T-R-A, 
dot space and uh, just visit our website there. If you're, um, we also have a, <clears throat> a Twitter account, which was at Realtra Space, all one word. And then uh, for myself, uh, I have a Twitter account as well. It's at Astro underscore Ward, W-A-R-D. And we have, you know, various LinkedIn's, etc. We're based in Dublin. So, you know, just, just reach out to us if you have any questions about, about Realtra or reach out to me if you have additional questions about, you know, my journey out of academia, for example, or, or even what I'm doing at Realtra and, uh, you know, how you could maybe get involved in the Irish space industry as well. All right. Wonderful. That's everything for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find out more about us or Pint of Science Ireland, follow at Pint of Science IE on Twitter and Instagram and find us wherever you get your podcasts. John can be found on Twitter at at Astro underscore Ward, W-A-R-D. And Railtra can be found at their website, railtra.space. That's R-E-A-L-T-R-A dot space. And on Twitter, at at Railtra Space. We are dedicating this episode to my grandfather, Lee Driscoll Daspit. He passed away this summer. He was 79 years old. He was an avid storyteller. In fact, here's a recording of him telling me a story. Oh, okay. I've said about my great uncle Paul with Eddie Eddie Corn, the most beautiful big curls and everything. You break your teeth off, it was just for the cat. And uh, you could roll for eight hours, it's still be tough. He loved science and was always supportive of my love of science and desire to pursue it. My family and I miss him very much every day. I also want to thank the Pine Science Ireland podcast team, Kate, Brian, Peter, Anetta, and Dan for their kindness and understanding this year as my family and I dealt with our grief. This episode was made with Kate Finucane on sound and the editing assistance of Kate Finucane and Brian Kennedy. Research assistance was from Kate Finucane and Brian Kennedy. Thanks to the co-directors of Pine Science Ireland, Ashley Gorman and Kevin J. Mercurio, as well as SFI. And thanks again to John for joining us on this episode. Pint of Science Ireland is part of the global initiative Pint of Science, which aims to bring the research to you, people that fund it. We'll see you next month. This has been Molly McCrory.